This Sunday is the last in our series on passages that express the essence of a part of the Bible. Today, we turn to the mysterious category of apocalyptic literature, and we'll read from the Revelation to John, chapter 21, starting with verse 1, and reading to the middle of verse 6. Those who wish to follow in the Pew Bibles can please turn to page 315 of the New Testament. This is just two pages before the last page of our Bibles. In these verses, a man known as John of Patmos begins to relate the last in a series of elaborate visions. Let us listen for what the Spirit is saying to us today. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. May God bless all who hear with understanding. Anybody feeling apocalyptic? Anybody feeling like, uh, you know, ooh, what cataclysm might be over the horizon or uh, greet me in the morning the next day or stand before us somehow? If you are not feeling apocalyptic these days, then you know somebody who is, don't you? We are told uh, in chapter 6, we are given this image of uh, four riders of the apocalypse, four horsemen of the apocalypse, and uh, there is uh, first a white horse that is interpreted, it's not clear in the text, but interpreted to mean a pestilence, a disease, affliction. Everybody agrees the red horse is war. Uh, disagreement about whether or not the third, the black horse, is famine. Everybody agrees the pale rider at the end is death. These things that afflict, uh, afflict in times of stirring an apocalypse of catastrophe and disaster. Are you feeling apocalyptic? Our day still knows famine, and, and you know I could put much more disturbing pictures up there, right? We still do not manage, for a number of reasons, to feed everybody adequately in this world. Our age knows war. We are particularly mindful of how we sit back and feel helpless about what's going on in Syria. This is what the highway out of Idlib looks like right now, the last place 
Um, there are camps where Week of Compassion is working. Won't be for these people. I don't think we're in Turkey, but we are in Jordan, for instance. Um, so some help, some help. War and its consequences, right? We see death on an unprecedented scale among our fellow creatures in Australia. These things are present in our age. Um, probably the one that makes us most disturbed is pestilence, because we're all thinking about the coronavirus right now. Hmm? Does that one make you nervous? Does that make you a little uneasy here? We most fear the thing that we think might most get us. We're not in Syria, we don't worry about that as much. We're not in Australia, we don't worry about that one as much. This thing, who knows, you know. Are you feeling apocalyptic, something disastrous, something horrible, these events combining in a way, maybe? There are people who are feeling that the apocalypse might come on November 3rd of this year, depending on who wins. And we would have a division on the house as to which who would be apocalyptic. Uh, some of the cynics here would say, either way, either way. Yeah, there's that, there's that. I've been uh, reading about Warren Gamaliel Harding, counted by many people among the worst presidents this country has ever had, 1920-1923. Um, and you don't just have the historian's word or my word for it. We really kind of sort of have his word for it. Uh, uh, he said, he said, I don't know what to do or where to turn. There must be a book that tells all about it, where I could go to straighten out my mind, but I don't know where the book is, and maybe I couldn't read it if I found it. You know? Now, the dot, dot, dot up there, he was talking about taxes, but we suspect that Mr. Harding was just overwhelmed by the job was incompetent for it, liked to make speeches, but didn't really know what to do with anything about that. He uh, was looking for a book that might tell him. And of course, we might have a book in mind, you know, that might tell him some things that would be helpful in his life, though, along with him, we might wonder if Warren Gamaliel Harding uh, would make sense of it. Uh, and there are times when, depending on where you go, we have struggles making sense of it ourselves. Are you the kind of person who, with a book, likes to just jump to the last page and see what happens? Because this one could give you some trouble, right? <laughs> we, we are mindful that there is a lot of weird stuff in it. Multi-headed beasts and all kinds of numbers. Lots of sevens and some twelves and a... 666 or 616, depending on which ancient text you look at, 144,000, all kinds of things in this book. Say what you will about prayer in school. We're all a little uneasy about math in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. um, we know, probably, brothers and sisters in Christ, for whom this is the book, but most of the people in most of churches like ours are a little uncomfortable with it. We kind of end up saying this every time we come back around to one of these texts from this kind of book. It is, it says, written by a man named John, who is in exile because of his faith on an island called Patmos. 
Some people believe that he is the apostle, the same author who wrote the gospel and the letters that bear the name of John. But John of Patmos doesn't say so. He says the apostles were somebody else who came before him. So I think probably not. He lives during a time of war and persecution, of pestilence and famine and death. A good bet is during the first empire-wide persecution of Christians sometime in the 90s. Of course, in church, when we say the 90s, in the Bible, when we say the 90s, we don't mean when NSYNC was big. We mean the 90s, you know? Quite possible. He writes in a style that is used in the book of Daniel, that is used in the book of Zephaniah, that is used in a few other places in the Bible. It was familiar to the Jews of his day. It was familiar to the early Christians of his day. It uses symbols and images and numbers that they would have understood. And we understand some of them. Some of them we're just guessing. Some of them we really don't know. But the people of his day would have understood what those numbers meant, what those symbols indicated, the way that they were put together, and the message that they conveyed. We stand not as knowledgeable. I can remember as a kid going to Bible studies on the book of Revelation that pointed out where the helicopters and the Russians and Henry Kissinger were. Don't think so. Don't think so now. Um, there are seven visions of seven. The Bible likes seven, you know. And then this last vision of a new Jerusalem coming out of a new heaven to a new earth. Um, if we are literal about the size of the new Jerusalem, it's about that big. Uh, if it were over in the Middle East, it would cover the whole thing in a little extra. Sounds interesting. So probably we aren't literal about it. Probably we understand that the focus is on renewal, on the recreation of that which has been destroyed, that which has been corrupted, that which has been lost. A new city with a new garden representing a new Eden at its center and a new river of life flowing out of that garden. The one who has been the beginning, the Alpha, is also the one who is the end, the Omega, A to Z, we would say with our alphabet. The ending seems uneasy, threatening, dangerous, complicated, hard. And the assurance here is that both the beginning and the end are in God's hands. We get that it's not about some remote heaven. It says that it comes to a new earth, a regenerated earth. We get that God is not remote here either. We are told that God dwells among us. God is at home with us. And we are to be comforted with a new life that is free from pain and tears and suffering and death. It is a message for the apocalypse of the 90s. 
It has been a message for all the different apocalypses since. Not where people set themselves up and said, oh, it's coming now, the end of the age will happen in this time, but all those different times when people couldn't see their way through to a decent end, who couldn't see a good ending, the message still reverberates cycle after cycle. Cataclysm after cataclysm, that, that the God who held the beginning of all things holds the end. And that we don't have to despair, even while things are hard, there is something better. There is something good. There is something of God beyond what we are enduring beyond what we fear in the moment. So really, what do you think when you see somebody dressed up like the Grim Reaper uh, with a great big sign that says the end is near? Do you think it's silly? Uh, do you think it's offensive? Do you think Cousin Alan? What if I add a fact that's not in the picture? What if I add one more thing about this particular person dressed up as the Grim Reaper with a big sign that says the end is near? What if I told you that this person is standing about 100 yards from the end of a marathon? <laughs> Makes a difference, doesn't it? Um, feeling apocalyptic may well mean that we are set to endure a lot of difficulty. There may even be consequences for the ways in which we have stirred up the pestilence or the war or the famine or the death. There may be things to endure personally, globally. It is true of all the current sufferings we have named or could add. But biblically, apocalypse also means that whatever is going on right now, God gets the last word. And that is essential.